It may be the jerk that gets their attention, but it's the sudden stop that gets them to bite. What am I talking about? I'm talking about one of my favorite presentations of all time, and that's the jerk bait. We're going to talk specific baits, rigging, retrieves, and more. All that on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. All right, guys, Lachance here. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. We're here to talk jerkbaiting, and I couldn't be happier about it. Jerkbaits are, for me, a extreme confidence technique. If you've listened to this podcast for very long or watched Fishful Thinker on television or our YouTube channel, uh, you know we throw a lot of jerk baits, and we throw them for a lot of different species of fish, and that's a key thing. Other than the three-inch gold minnow on an eight-ounce jig head, I've probably caught more fish on a jerk bait than any other uh, any other lure at all, of all, and that includes freshwater, saltwater, um, pick a species. I've caught a lot of them on jerk baits, and it's something we do a lot on guide trips. It's something that we do a lot just for fun. It's something I do for anglers that can't fish and something I do with anglers that fish at a high level. It's a very um, somewhat universal technique and, like I said, one of my favorites of all time. So let's dive into, first of all, some of the uh, stereotypes that, uh, that go around jerkbaits or, or the misnomers, as I would maybe say about them. And we'll start with bass, largemouth bass, let's say, or maybe even smallmouth bass, but especially largemouth bass. I, I cut my teeth in tournament circles uh, when it comes to really upping my angling game. And back in the early 90s, I started tournament fishing, mid-90s, and uh, that's when I first learned of bass fishing with jerkbaits. Now, before that, I spent a lot of time in South Florida. I grew up originally in South Florida, and jerkbaits maybe aren't called jerk baits there, but the presentation is the same. Back in those days when I was a kid, people would throw a bomber long A and they would work it with a stop and go or a, or a real erratic presentation for salt water. And I saw people doing a lot of that and it was one of the earliest things I gravitated to. Uh, then when I started fishing in Colorado more, it just sort of got away from it and didn't do a lot of jerk baiting in, the, in that time of my life of something that I, like I said, I pigeonholed it a little bit like a saltwater bait. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that hamper jerk baits around the country is they get pigeonholed into specific fish or specific seasons being a really classic one uh, where people say, oh, well, it's not spring. We can't throw a jerk bait anymore. Or this species won't hit a jerk bait, blah, blah, blah. And Reality the situation, I found out over time that was not true. And there was a gentleman by the name of Curtis Welch, who I still to this day am friends with. Uh, Curtis has been a regular guest on Fishful Thinker Television. In fact, I probably ought to be smart enough to get him on this podcast one of these days. Um, Curtis Welch and I had drawn each other as tournament partners, and we were going to have to travel from Colorado to Table Rock Lake in Arkansas. And we were going to do that in early spring, and uh, or Arkansas, Missouri, I should say. We were going there in early spring, and he was like, well, man, you're, you're going to have to get jerk baits. It's going to be a jerk bait thing. You're going to need some, some deep diving jerk baits. And at that time, the jerk bait uh, of choice that was getting really, really popular uh, was made by Lucky Craft. It was the old Stacy jerk bait. This would have been like around... 
oh, let's see, I just moved back from Florida. It would have been somewhere right around the turn of 2000, somewhere in that range. And there was a few other jerk baits, but that one was just starting to get known in the market. And he was, you're going to have to have this bait. And, and I'm like, well, okay. But I didn't understand what the, the nuances were of the situation. I'm thinking, well, I've got all these other baits. Why do I need this thing? Then he explained to me that, well, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to pause it for a long time. You're going to have to pull it down in the cold water and pause it for a long time and it'd be real subtle. And he explained it all to me and it made sense to me. And as an intuitive angler, I thought, okay, well, that makes sense. And, and I went down to Arkansas and Missouri. We launched in Missouri, ran down to Arkansas to fish. Long story short, um, I smashed him on that tournament with that jerk bait, and I had never done that before. We were fishing deep water and suspending this this bait down, you know, 10, 11 feet down, and just letting it hang there in the water come, and the bites were real subtle, and I was giddy. I mean, after day one of that derby, I was I was ready to go. I, that was the coolest thing I'd seen in a while was that jerk bait just sitting like that. Well, I came back from that tournament determined that I was going to master that technique. And basically, ever since then, over the last 20 years, um, I have basically carried that thing everywhere I go and throw it for a lot of species. And I've expanded on it. And, and these days, I probably throw a jerk bait more than the overwhelming majority of anglers out there for multiple species. And let's talk about why it's so good. And I kind of alluded to it in the very beginning. It's the jerk that gets their attention. The, the bait is extremely erratic when it's worked correctly. It's very erratic. As you pop on the rod tip, the bait gets very erratic. And that is always an excellent way to get fish's attention. Anything very erratic will get fish's attention. It won't always get them to bite, but it'll get their attention. And... The jerk bait is probably about as erratic as any bait you're going to throw. I mean, if you think about something like uh, maybe a spoon that's falling down, like a jigging spoon down through the water column, it's very erratic the way it falls. Great tool for triggering fish. You think about crankbaits that are constantly grinding on the bottom uh, as you retrieve them. That makes them bounce every which way. They're very erratic. You get bites with them. Anything rhythmic is a great way to get follows, uh, and it can be, if fish are feeding, a great way to get bites as well. But when fish aren't feeding, erratic is a better job of getting their attention. And I, and I look at it like, let's look at it this way. Let's say there's a police dog and he's guarding this, this room here. If somebody comes walking through all, all calm and quiet, he won't even look up. If I come jogging through, but in a normal manner, maybe, maybe picking you know, a little bit faster than normal, but just come jogging through, he's going to look. It might get his attention for a minute but he's not probably going to do much about it. But if I come running in here acting all crazy and erratic, uh, he's probably going to pop up and, and have something to say about me, me being all nutty. And I look at fish the same way. When something's very rhythmic, a lot of times we'll look at it. Trout are famous for that. We'll follow that for a long time. It looks cool. Let's swim along behind it and follow it. I've seen saltwater fish of all sorts do that. Uh, wahoo and billfish have been known to track trolled baits for like a mile. Uh, just because they're curious about them, but they don't bite them. I've seen videos of muskie and pike doing the same thing underwater where they're following a bait that's just cruising along, and until it does something different or erratic, they don't bite. Well, the jerk bait, if it's worked correctly, is erratic every time you work on the rod tip, but it has one great quality about it besides the fact that it's erotic like that. 
when you pause it and throw slack back at it, it will basically come to a sudden stop in the water column. It won't sink, it won't rise, or at least not quickly if it's tuned well. It will basically sit there in the water column. And in my mind, it becomes a proverbial sitting duck. And so it's all crazy and erratic. It's, it stops in the event that you're working a jerk bait quickly. It stops for a quick second, gives the fish enough time to pounce, gives them an opportunity to easily grab it, to key in on it and grab it. That can be really good. Conversely, the long pause jerkbait, the cold weather long pause jerkbait like you might see for walleyes or bass in say 50 degree water range, you know, 45 to 55 degree water range, the jerkbaits are very synonymous with a long pause. Okay, that's fantastic too. And a lot of times what happens is fish will come up and we videoed this, fish will come up and look at it and look at it and look at it. And the longer it sits there, the more they look at it. Maybe they bite it, maybe they don't. But the next time you barely twitch it, they're going to pounce. And that's really a key bite trigger mechanism is either it's going real crazy and erratic and then it stops all of a sudden and bam, that's when they bite it. Or conversely, it's on a really long pause where the bait's not moving at all or the very first time it moves at all, it gets bit in the same way that a topwater bait that's left until the rings settle Nothing happens, nothing happens, and then you twitch it one time and it gets bit. It gives the fish the motivation they need to bite, and that's really important. Those are the things that make the jerkbait so good, is the fact that it's one of the few baits that when you stop it, don't retrieve it, it just stops and sits there. It's not going to come to the surface. It's not going to sink to the bottom. It's not going to continue to come forward or float backwards or anything else. It's going to sit right there in the water column if it's tuned correctly. And it may have a little role. A good friend of ours, Dan Spangler, the hard bait development manager for, for Berkeley, you know, when he designs jerk baits, they'll wobble very slightly side to side, basically just giving off a little bit of, of liveliness. But the bait's not really going anywhere. And that's a critical part of why a jerkbait's different than a crankbait or a jig or any other bait that I can think of off the top of my head. The only other bait that will just stop and not do anything when you just stop it is a topwater bait and ironically has some of the same qualities. You think about a walking bait like a you know, a, a jaywalker, and the bait goes back and forth and back and forth, and you pause it, and it just sort of comes to the center and sits there for a minute. Boom, you get fish to bite. Or after the bait's been sitting there for 10 seconds on the surface, you start it walking again. Boom, fish will get it there. Same kind of thing. The topwater bait, a floating topwater bait, and a jerk bait, the only two that'll sit still in the water column. Now, what kind of jerk bait am I going to advocate right here? whatever kind you have the most confidence in. These days, when it comes to cold water, I'm throwing a Berkeley Stun a, a ton. It's it's the latest and greatest, the most technology in it. Uh, the bait came right out of the chute and won the Bassmaster Classic with Hank Cherry, you know, which is about as high of credentials as you can get right off the bat. Incidentally, I've had long discussion with Hank Cherry about the bait in person at ICAST. Um, got all of his nuances about it. Uh, he helped design that bait and... and He's proven that the jerkbait will get bit in a lot of scenarios. In years past, I threw, and I still throw some, uh, Berkeley cutters. We threw those in the 90s and the 110s, the skinny cutters, a bunch of different sizes. Uh, that's been a very popular bait for us. At times in my career, I've thrown rogues. The old school classic rogue uh, has been a bait that I've thrown in years. It's probably one of the hardest baits out there to cast, but it's a good bait to get bites with, and that's really good. In fact, I coached the 2016 
BASS Costa High School National Championship on Kentucky Lake and won that in August, late July and early August, throwing floating jerk baits in shallow water and working them as fast as you can possibly work them. That's not a well-known pattern. It's not something that very many guys do. It's something that I am absolutely married to, especially in high bright sun and glass comp conditions. In my opinion, that's one of the best times for a jerkbait. The book, so to speak, will tell you that is no time for a jerkbait. But uh, you can explain that to the other 274 teams that did not win that tournament and, uh, and got beat by kids who weighed every single keeper for three days straight on that floating jerkbait. I've thrown, like I said, the aforementioned Bomber Long A's way back in the day. I've thrown any number of generic ones. I've thrown little tiny jerkbaits, um, little tiny, tiny little ones for trout that are two, two and a quarter inches long. Um, at the end of the day, it's the pause, it's the shape, the long skinny shape, and the pause and jerk motion that makes a bait a jerkbait. Jerkbaits are long and skinny as a genre. They're not short and fat like crankbaits. Well, Berkeley spent a lot of money, and I've talked to the folks there to figure out that fish have a strong preference for long and skinny over short and fat. And I think it goes back to the fact that that's easier for fish or safer for fish to swallow. If a fish eats a bluegill and gets it stuck in his gullet, that's a bummer. But if he eats a stock or trout that weighs the same, well, it goes down real easy because it's long and skinny. Long and skinny is easy for fish to swallow. They will generate you a lot of bites. Jerk baits are long and skinny. That's fine with me. It's certain ironic that, or certainly ironic that, a lot of the bites when when a jerk bait's really a tool of choice will come from the side. You will see fish bite it straight from the side and have that thing crossways like a dog with a bone. If they're doing that, I know I've got the right bait at that point. Same thing if they're completely ingesting it from the head. I know I've got the right bait. When they're when I'm getting jerk baits head down in their gullet, I'm getting for sure the right bait. I know I'm on the hunt. So let's talk about when do I not throw a jerk bait. About the only time that I won't throw a jerk bait is if my fish are too deep to bite it. Now, that's not to say that the fish can't be below the jerkbait. I mean, the deepest jerkbaits that I'm aware of when cast and retrieved are only going to go in the 12, maybe 15 feet on the outside, and realistically 10 to 12 is a safer bet. It's hard to get a jerkbait any deeper than that, um, at least on a jerkbait retrieve. Certainly, you could troll one or something crazy like that, but if I'm working it with a stop-and-go, you know, jerk-jerk pause or whatever the rhythm might be, it's hard to get it to go much much over about 10 to 15 feet, no matter what the diving lip looks like on the jerkbait. Now, does that mean I will only fish it 12 to 15 feet? Absolutely not, particularly in clear water. In a clear water situation, it's very common for me to try to draw fish up to the bait because I get more committed strikes than I do by taking the bait down to the fish. So what I mean by that is I might have a bunch of smallmouth sitting on a, a dam face suspended out chasing smelt, and they might be 25 to 35 feet down. But in the clear water, they can see the jerkbait running over the top of their head, and it's exciting for them, and they'll come flying from deep water straight up and smash the bait from the bottom. And a lot of times you can see them do it. We've done that at Lake Powell in crystal clear water at Lake Powell working down bluffs. And you see the fish come straight up the bluff and smash a bait that's suspended 10 feet under the surface. Fish was way deeper than that, but it'll come up and get it. 
Um, same thing, you can do that in saltwater situations, working over the top of a reef or a hard rock bottom, something like that, where the bottom might be 20, 25, 30 feet down, but the fish will come off the bottom to come up and get the jerk bait. And the one that's probably most surprising to most people will be walleyes. And I've seen a lot of walleyes sitting uh, on the bottom. It's a very common area in a place that I guide where they will be sitting on the bottom in a, in a known saddle area. It's a saddle between an island and a and a and the main you know bank of the of the lake. And that saddle sits at something like 25 feet. But when it's clear in the summertime, running a jerkbait over the top of that thing is a fantastic way to get walleyes to come up and bite that are otherwise just laying on the bottom doing nothing. So again, I think it's the, the super erratic presentation that gets the fish's attention and motivates them to make the move it takes to get to bite. Now, how do we generate that erratic action? That's a key part of the jerkbait, because regardless of what brand you buy, how big it is or anything else, it's still gonna come down to you to make that bait be erratic. And how do I do that? The key comes with slack line. You have to be a slack line management. So the retrieve for a jerkbait is always gonna start and stop with slack line. So if you listen to very much stuff that we put out there, I'm always control slack, control slack, control slack. Well, in this situation, it's the very essence of controlled slack. So a basic retrieval goes something like this. I'll make a long throw. I'll pull the bait down with a sweep or two of the rod tip. In other words, just pulling pulling the rod tip down on tight line just to get the bait to dive, just like I would a crankbait or something like that, getting it to its starting depth. Then you'll point the rod tip back towards the bait and give it and let a little bit of slack lay on the surface. Then when I pop that bait, I'm going to very quickly pop the rod tip in a downward motion and then throw the slack right back at it. In the same kind of mindset as dribbling a basketball, I don't push the basketball into the floor. I send the basketball down and have it bounce back. Well, in the case of the jerk bait, the slack line is the space between your hand in the floor, the floor is the line itself, so or the weight of the rod itself, I should say. So I start with the slack. As soon as the rod tip blows with the resistance of the bait coming forward, as I work my downward jerk, as soon as you feel that rod tip bounce against or pull up against the resistance of the bait, you go back to the original position you started with the rod. So it becomes a just real quick. It's not, a, it's not a long pull on the bait or a big sweep on the bait. It's just a bouncing it off the rod tip. And there's some information that I'm going to get back to about that. So keep that in mind about that slack line. The more slack you throw back at a bait uh, at the end of the jerk, the more it has a tendency to spin backwards or to, to get really crazy erratic. The less slack I give it, the less it will have the room because the tension on the line will keep it from turning sideways as much and doing all the crazy erratic stuff that we really want a jerkbait to do. So if you start with tight line already and then pull into it, the bait's just going to swim forward. If you start with slack line and then bounce it off the as the line comes tight, the bait will be erratic. The bill will load under water pressure and it will be erratic. And it doesn't matter if it's a deep diver or a shallow diver, a floater or a suspender, they're all going to do the same thing, effectively the same thing, if you start and stop with slack line. 
99% of the time for me, it's a tip down situation. Um, the only time you'll very often see me with a tip up situation is if I'm trying to make the bait even more erratic, classically with walleyes or saltwater fish, where I'll get the bait moving maybe three jerks in a row in one direction, and then I'll jerk it up one time instead of down. And that'll make the bait change levels just a little bit in the water column. And it'll do something really weird and erratic and turn backwards, turn who knows which way. Tons of slack at it. But it basically just gives it a little bit of a level change in the water column. And at the end of the day, it's the same thing, just a slightly different direction. The, like I said, the overwhelming amount of time, it's a tip-down situation. And it's going to start with the rod tip being loose in my hand. Now, here's where I'm going to differ from at least 90% of the of the bass pros out there, maybe not the walleye guys and the saltwater guys, but of, of the pro bass derby guys, I differ fundamentally from almost all of them. And I've had long talks with those that are famous for their jerkbait prowess, in, including guys like uh, Kelly Jordan, lo loves to do some jerkbaiting, no, no question about that. Um, you know, a, a bunch of guys. There's a whole slew of guys that are jerkbaits. Obviously, Hank Cherry, we, we, we already mentioned him, big-time jerkbait guy. Um, in my mind, the jerkbait is best worked on braided line and a spinning rod. And all the rest of the guys that are wearing a bass patch are going to tell you it needs to be on a soft casting rod and fluorocarbon line. I'm going to tell you why I don't like to do that. I've already mentioned the jerkbait needs to be erratic. I believe, and in, in my experience with videoing it, I can make the jerkbait the most erratic if I use the weight of the fishing rod rather than my own muscles to make it work. So in other words, by using a spinning rod, I can let that rod and reel combo just hang in my hands under its own weight. I'm not gripping the rod tip at all. I'm just letting it hang in my hands. And you can't really do that with a bait caster or you'll drop it. You need the, the spinning rod, the primary balance is the reel hanging underneath the bottom and it has obviously the reel foot that between you and there to keep you from dropping the rod. You can literally just let it hang in your open hand. Well, when I do that, the weight of the rod becomes all I need to get the bait to work. So with no effort expended at all, I can make a jerkbait extremely erratic just by bouncing the weight of the rod tip off of the resistance of the bill of the jerkbait in the water column. So that little bit of slack in my line between, between me and the jerkbait is all the slack I need if I'm using just the weight of the rod tip, I don't end up pulling the bait forward. So as soon as the rod hits the end, and since I'm not gripping it and forcing it, as soon as it hits the end of the slack and the line comes tight, the jerkbait will start forward, the rod will bounce backwards and throw the automatic slack at it. So I'm a little scrawny dude and I've, I've coached a lot of kids and I've coached a lot of women, nothing against women, but they don't tend to fish as aggressively. Uh, as when I guide, uh, they don't tend to fish as aggressively. I find I can get way more erratic action with the spinning rod without using muscles or without having to think as hard about getting erratic action. The spinning rod coupled with a braided line gives me a very, very precise feel because now I'm not gripping the rod, which is your best way to gain sensitivity of the rod is not gripping the rod, just letting it hang in your hand. Number two, the braided line gives me ultimate sensitivity from one end to the other and control in that if I pull one inch on this end, it pulls one inch on that end with no 
no problem at all. It's, there's no stretch in between and no dampening in between me and the jerk bait. The other thing it allows is, is because of that, it allows me to be very precise. If I want a little tiny twitch, I can do that. If I want a great big twitch, I can do that. Because I'm also coupling that spinning rod or that braided line, I should say, with an extra fast action spinning rod. And that's completely against what, like I said, the overwhelming majority, probably in the 99 percentile range, actually, of pro bass guys would tell you. I like that precise control that I have rather than a big soft rod and fluorocarbon line because then I don't have as good a control, I don't have as good a feel, and I have to spend a lot more effort working on that jerk bait. I don't get my fatigued by doing it with a spinning rod and braid and an extra fast rod because the presentation is very crisp. That erraticness is very, very easy to obtain with just the weight of the rod and the line, and I don't have to muscle it. So if I can teach a 10-year-old kid to do it really well, uh, I can also teach anybody else to do it, and that's a really important thing. The other thing about the braided line is it gives me a long casting distance regardless of the condition. So sure, if I have a, a Berkley Stunner and, and 10-pound, trying 100% fluorocarbon on a 7-foot casting rod, yeah, I can launch that thing a long ways, no question about it, with a casting rod. But let's say I have a much smaller jerk bait, uh, or let's say I have a heavy wind condition and I want to work the bait down or across the wind. Well, if I've got it on, say, 15-pound, uh, say, Trilene X9 or Spiderwire Durabraid, something like that, that braided line will give me exceptionally long casting distance, controllability, steerability, all of the things I want in a bait that I am responsible for the action for. This isn't a crankbait that I'm just hucking and winding. This is a bait that I have to make uh, hunt around and, and jerk around. The braided line coupled with an extra fast spinning rod will do it. Now, if you're a hardcore bass guy, and you're hearing this, you're gonna throw out right away, um, oh, well, I don't have any power in a spinning rod. Well, I'm gonna argue all day long that that is not true. You spend any time around saltwater guys, you're gonna find out that you have way more power than you think you have with a spinning rod if it is handled well. The modern spinning rods, I jerk bait with a six foot eight medium extra fast uh, spinning rod most of the time. Uh, if I've got a heavier jerk bait, then I'll step it up to a, to a six and a half foot uh, medium heavy spinning rod. The only reason it's six and a half instead of six eight is I don't have, haven't seen a six eight medium heavy spinning rod anywhere. So the size of the spinning rod coupled with 15 or 20 pound braid is going to generate all the power you need to handle fish. No question about that. For two, I can throw it straight into the wind without any problem at all. And the guys, the bass guys are going to yell, okay, you're going to lose fish. You're going to lose fish. It's, there's no give in your system. You've got an extra fast rod and you've got braided line and no stretch and you got little tiny treble hooks on a jerk bait and now you're going to lose fish. Well, if I lost that many fish with it, I would have gave up on the technique a long time ago. How I counter that is by running a very soft drag and not holding on to the rod very hard. I've already mentioned the rod's just hanging in my hands. The fact that the rod is hanging in my hands let the fish get a good clean bite on it in the same way that a little bit of extra give on, on, a, on a casting rod that is more moderate uh, speed would do so for a you know conventional bass guy, right? So Hank Cherry is throwing it on a medium or a medium heavy moderate power or moderate action rod, which is a very soft action rod, and he generates a lot of forgiveness in his in his bites for that. So a fish bites, 
is there some give in the system, he gets a clean bite. Well, I counter that in my world by not hanging onto the rod at all, just letting it hang in my hands for one, and then for two, the drag is set such that if I jerk on the jerkbait hard enough, it will click the, the drag a time or two. And that means that um, I'm not going to pull fish. If a, if a five or six or seven pound largemouth surges at the boat, a little bit of drag will give in that instead of having a big soft rod. Either way, I have a cushion and somebody's going to say, oh, that soft drag, what if you hook a giant? Well, I can always palm the spool and, and give myself more drag if I need. So Again, I hang onto the rod very loosely in my hand so that the rod can respond to the fish, and B, the drag is very soft so that if a fish surges, uh, I don't have as much chance of pulling, pulling treble hooks out. The system overall has worked extremely well, and I've done a ton of jerk baiting for snook on medium heavy uh, spinning rods with 20 pound braid and a heavy fluorocarbon leader and uh, and then a variety of different jerk baits and have, I mean, a ton of snook a bit that way. Trout, very famous for surging, very famous for nipping at bait. Same thing, I stepped the whole system down, but it's exactly the same basic system in that the braided line and the extra fast spinning rod and the braided line in that case might be 10 pound, the jerkbait might only be two and a half inches long or three inches long, but the concept is the same. Trout nips it, though I'm barely holding onto the rod, he'll get, he'll get a bite on it, and of course trout are famous for their antics and surging and jumping and all of that, and when they start doing that, the drag will soften you up a whole bunch. So that's my general system. It always has a fluorocarbon leader on the end of it, and why the fluorocarbon leader? And you could use a monoliter if you wanted. Uh, I shouldn't say it always has a fluorocarbon leader. What I should say, and I, I'll correct myself, what I should say is it always has a monofilament. It might be nylon monofilament or fluoro monofilament, but it's got a leader on the end of it. And for two, two reasons. In, in the case of fluorocarbon, it'll help hold the bait down in the water column, which can be good when the water's cold and dense and the bait wants to rise. Uh, the other thing it does is visibility. If the bait's sitting dead still, again, in the cold water, uh, the bait's going to sit dead still for a relatively long period of time. Could be anywhere, in my case, very commonly, it could be 5 to 15 seconds. I uh, won a tournament one time here, a cold water uh, late March tournament in Colorado, by letting the bait sit for 30 seconds plus at a time. That is very hard to do. It has to be very calm out. Your boat has to be able to sit still. There can't be any breeze pulling on the line, or the bait won't sit there that long. But if the bait's tuned well and you can get it to sit there in that freezing cold water, they will for sure bite it, no question about it. The fluorocarbon leader gives the bait holds the bait down and gives the, the separation between your line and the bait. The other thing the leader does, whether it be nylon or fluoro, is it helps keep the treble hooks. Jerk baits all have somewhere either two or three treble hooks on them. Uh, those hooks will tumble in the air uh, when you cast and snag your line. And any nylon or fluoro is, is stiff enough to, that that doesn't create as much of a problem. Braided line will wrap those, those treble hooks and tie up some nasty little knots and drive yourself crazy. So typically for me, the leader is going to be somewhere around eight to eight inches to two feet long. Never any longer than that. And I don't let the leader knot pass through the guides. So I want to be able to cast it with the leader knot outside the guides. 
I mentioned we won the, the high school national bass fishing championship on Kentucky Lake in 2016. In that case, we were using 20-pound nylon monofilament leaders because we were fishing floating jerk baits. That 20-pound nylon held the bait up higher in the column because it floats. And we were only fishing two feet of water with a floating jerk bait. We needed that bait to stay high in the column. Same thing around flats fishing. If you get around flats and you're fishing around flats, you may need nylon to help, help the bait stay up as opposed to fluorocarbon, which will help the bait go down. Uh, regardless, it's going to have that leader on there at all times. Like I said, eight to eight inches to two feet long, somewhere in that range. Probably, I say when I generally tie them on, they're around 18 inches, and, uh, and I'll cut them from there as I need. Let's change it up a little bit and talk about retrieve speed. In other words, the cadence and speed at which I'm working the bait, because that's my probably single largest variance in jerk baits on any given day. And it's part of the reason that I like the spinning rod braid combo, the extra fast action rod braid combo. I vary widely from pro bass guys uh, and even walleye guys, a lot of the walleye guys that are working jerk baits because for them it's more rhythmic. It's jerk, jerk, pause, jerk, jerk, pause, jerk, jerk, pause, all the way back to the boat. It's rare that I do that. The fish have to be flat chew in that jerk bait for me to do that. For me, it's more of a, it's, to put it in terms of music, it's, it's way more rad. It's like, back to the boat. It's, it's never two jerks exactly the same. Um, in warmer water situations with warm being relative to the fish species, in other words, warm for a trout is different than warm for a bass. If I'm fishing warm water in relation to my species, I'm going to fish the bait faster. So in the case of that national championship on Kentucky Lake, we had 90 plus degree water. We were working them as fast as you can go. The bait barely stops in between jerks. In the case of a cold water tournament, like I said here at Pueblo Reservoir that I won years ago, it might be more of a dirk, dirk. And then I'm not going to let you sit here and listen to me make no noise for 30 seconds, but literally not move the bait at all. And then one jerk and let it sit there for 10 seconds. And then jerk maybe three or four or five times in a row and let it sit for 30 seconds again. It's a very much by the seat of the pants thing. And, and I let each bite teach me how the fish want the bait. So if they're biting it at the end of my pause, right when I restart to, to jerk on it, I might shorten my pauses. If they're biting it in the middle of my pauses, I might leave them longer and give the fish more ample chance to bite it. If they're biting it with my minimum speed pauses, well, then it's game on because I'm going to catch a lot of fish because I can cover a tremendous amount of water with it. Day in and day out, I probably have a pause somewhere between about one and three seconds um, my amount of jerks in between pauses and the amplitude of those jerks, in other words, how hard I jerk it, might change a lot over the course of any given retrieve, much less any given day. But at the end of the day, I'm always working on that retrieve and trying to fine tune with what the fish are telling me on that particular day. Now, a final point that I want to go over real quick with jerk baiting, and this is particularly going to be the case in the, in the case of a long pause. If you to get a jerk bait to pause in the water column and stay there, it needs a certain amount of slack. If there's any tension on it, the bait won't actually just sit there. It'll, it'll try to move forward or whatever. Well, if I have that much slack between me and the fish, if it was fluorocarbon, the, the, the overall line will slowly sink and try to pull the bait down, for one. If it's nylon, it's just the opposite will happen. It'll come to the surface. But if I have braid, the bait will just sit there. And here's the best part. I can watch for my bites. I can watch that bait, that, 
the, the braid as far out there as I can see it, and you'll see that braid just tick. It'll just barely jump or it'll just start swim away. Because with the slack line, you may not feel those subtle cold weather bites. Smallmouth may come up and just nip that bait, particularly smallmouth in cold water, might come up and just barely nip the bait and you won't feel them at all. If you feel them, the line was too tight in the first place and you got lucky that he bit. Typically, I'm going to see the line either start to pull away because when they pop the bait, one of those trebles will catch something and give me a clue. Uh, or B, I'm going to just see the jump. I'm just, the line will just pop and I'll know it and I'll go right to a hook set. And the hook sets are always for me a sweep. It's never a hard snap on the rod tip. It's a sweep, pull into the fish. I should hear my drag click a time or two. Then I know that I'm right in the, the hunt where my drag needs to be set. So yeah, I think outside the box. Jerk baiting for me, like I said, it's a fast action, extra fast action spinning rod. It's no stretch braid. It's a short fluorocarbon leader or a short nylon leader, depending on what jerkbait I'm fishing. It's a very, very loose grip on the rod all the time. It's a tip-down presentation. Uh, it's just a, a, a reactive presentation. Whatever I can do to help that bait react and be as erratic as I can and then suddenly stop, that's what I'm going to do. I don't care if it's August, I don't care if it's June, I don't care what the situation is, jerkbait's a fantastic way to get a lot of fish to bite. It is not a water temperature thing. A lot of guys pigeonhole as a cold weather bait. Well, all you got to do is speed it up and it's not a cold weather bait. And it doesn't matter if it's 90 degrees like it was at Kentucky Lake or 40 degrees like it was at Pueblo. If the, if the speed of the bait matches the environmental conditions, you're going to be good to go. So, you want to learn more about jerkbaits, go to our YouTube channel. That's at Fishful Thinker. There's a bunch of different jerkbait videos there, a bunch of different species. I mean, white bass and snook and redfish and sea trout and largemouth and smallmouth and walleyes and everybody. They're all on there. Go look at the Fishful Thinker YouTube channel if you want to join the conversation on our social media. I'd appreciate that very much. That's at Fishful Thinker on Facebook and Instagram. And, of course, look for us on Altitude Sports and World Fishing Network. In the meantime, I don't care where you're hearing this from. Consider jerkbait. I don't care what you like to fish for. Consider jerkbait. Consider the tips I just gave you. You'll catch more fish.